Oi, praise be to God. Hallelujah. The, the saints gathered. We've been scattered for too long. Praise be to God. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to be here. As I was coming in through the car park, I could hear the songs of Zion. And it was a blessing to my soul, echoing through the car park, every level. Could just hear the voices, the wonderful voices of our sisters leading us in praise with melody and harmony. Come on. Praise be to God. God is good. Yes. Hi, Cain. My brother, it's good to see you, man. Praise be to God. So, um, how many people know this song? By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, where we were, when we remembered Zion. Some of you looking at me plain-faced, I know you're young. It's okay. Us old heads grew up on that. Who sang that? Who did? Boney M. But you know it wasn't their song. Uh, 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 a group called the Melodians. And you'd think that this, this, that song, right, is one of the top 10 biggest selling singles of all time in the UK. You imagine that? It's such a random and unusual <laughs> to be in the top 10 of all time. And in fact, the, the, the follow up single, which was the B side, Brown girl in yeah. but that one that one that was not from scripture. That was not from scripture. So I, I'm not, <laughs> so I'm not singing out that whole one. But it's the stream can't hear me. Um all right. I, I'm sure you guys will get there. Press the flash. Um select select the stream, press the flash, and then make sure this is unmuted and turned up. And I'm sure that. They probably didn't want to hear me singing that song anyway, but still, that's what you get when you're here. You get the full dose, isn't it? <laughs> Praise be to God. Yes, so Boney M sang that song, and it, and it is such a random song. But the lyrics, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, where we wept when we remembered Zion. And then that little part in the song, I always love that part. When the wicked <laughs> carried us away to captivity and required from us a song. But how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And no doubt that could have been the anthem of our pandemic, right? Feeling like we're in captivity with no reason for singing the Lord's song. Because we've just been locked down and, and just felt like we've been locked out of God's presence. Felt like maybe things are dire and how are we going to see better times? Feeling like even looking at our lives and just feeling, wow, what is my life really consisting of? going through the situation without the opportunity to be in fellowship with the saints, to be under the word of God and just feeling depleted as a believer. 
And yet the Lord is faithful. God is in control. And so in our hearts, we might be feeling weary, discouraged, disillusioned. But God has purpose for you to flourish where you are found. To flourish where you are found. Because as we turn our attention to our new series in the book of Daniel, God is in control. We'll see God's people in not too dissimilar a set of circumstances. They have literally been carried away to Babylon. Whose rivers they would have sat beside. And it could be that that psalm was added to the collection after that experience. When they actually felt like, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? That my, my favorite version of that sentiment is actually sung by my favorite group of all times. And they sang, how can we sing? When we're in a strange land, how can we face adversity? Oh, listen, come on. Now that was a solo effort because some of you don't go back that deep. But I've trained my children so they could see. <laughs> uh, but throughout the generations, the sentiment's been felt. And when we go back to a time when it was literally being experienced by the people of God in the book of Daniel, where they had been taken to a godless land among a people with an idolatrous worldview, where they were subject to captivity and the restrictions of captivity. And yet we see a flourishing even in that place of hardship, even in that place of restriction, what would it be to be like that evergreen tree? I got this hardy tree in my garden. It's evergreen. And no matter the season or the situation, the tree stands strong and straight and it flourishes. And there's a sense in which in Christ, God has purpose for you and for I to be that tree. Like the tree that we read of in Psalm 1, planted by the rivers, bringing forth its fruit in season, as we took time to consider um, some time back when we looked at the Psalms. And so the fact that we live in a nation where church membership has declined, And when I say church membership has declined, in 1930, 10.6 million people were church members. By 2010, that was 5.5 million, a reduction from 30% to 11.2%. In terms, and that's members, not even attenders, members. In terms of church attendance, And sorry, that percentage is of the population, not 
of each other's figures. You're probably thinking, huh? Is it five, half of them? No, in terms of the population at that time. 30% of the population in 1930 were church members. And that dropped to 11.2% in 2010. In terms of church attendance, 2013, church attendance, sorry, 2015, church attendance was 5% of the population. And that's those who attend church once a month. And that's a decline from 11.8% in 1980. So there's no doubt that we live in a post-Christian culture. Once upon a time, people would have said that this is a Christian nation, Christian values, Christian ideals. The establishing of the welfare system as we understand it was at the instigation of Christians. Our legal system is founded on Judaic Christian um, structures and values and principles. And yet we see a huge departure from that in every aspect of life. It can cause us to sit down and feel like, what's coming of this world? What's, 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 what's becoming of this life? And yet God has purpose for you and for I to flourish where we're found. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. Um, you can turn to Daniel chapter 1. And um, I'll read and then I'll pray. <clears throat> In the, year, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved 
that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with wine, with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And, gave, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel <clears throat> was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God indeed. Let's pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word through which we are instructed and encouraged. That we're informed and inspired. And Lord, we pray that as we seek your face through your word, that you would reveal yourself to us. And in doing so, Lord, you would reveal us to ourselves. That we might know who we are before you and in you. And who you've called us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're looking at the book of Daniel, and I'm going to try and stop this from rustling on my beard. I think that might be a bit better. So, the time period is 605 BC, um, about 600 years before Jesus. And to kind of give you a bit of a reference in terms of what was going on in the world at that time. Um, that was the point at which they were constructing the Acropolis in Athens. The Mayan civilization flourished in Mexico. Aesop was writing his fables, 
wherever he was in Europe. Greek art began to excel. The Phoenicians made the first known sea journey around Africa. And incidentally, the Greeks introduced the olive tree to Italy. One of those useless pieces of information that will probably help you when you're on catchphrase, no, the chase. <laughs> um. <laughs> and so this was what was going on in the world at that time. But what was going on for the people of God was that the Babylonians had come and taken them into captivity by the ordination of God. And we see that in verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Babylon had defeated Egypt. Jehoiakim had been put into power by the Egyptians, so he was a bit of an Egyptian puppet. And on their way back from defeating Egypt and becoming the world superpower, Babylonians, they went into Israel, went to Jerusalem, the capital, and took it over. And so going straight to the heart of the matter, to the place of power and leadership, they were able to control the nation. Now in the book of Daniel, we will see first and foremost in chapter 1, uh, the backstory to the central characters. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And I should, as I should say, they're the, they're the central um, human characters. Because there is clearly, as we go through the book of Daniel, a more clear central character. And we'll see that unveiled step by step. In chapters 2 to 7, which are recognized to be a unit, um, primarily because unusually, they are not written in Hebrew like the rest of Daniel. Those in the original language are written in Aramaic, which is a, a similar tongue to Hebrew, but not the same. And it was a, a, a tongue used amongst the nations of the ancient Near East. And so in chapter, chapters 2 to 7, we see a further explanation on the events in the lives of Daniel Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. But also we see prophetic predictions concerning the nations of the world. In, verse, in chapters 8 to 12, we then see prophetic predictions concerning the people of God, Israel, the Hebrews. And so with these two sections being the kind of fundamental structure, with the intro of chapter 1 being the backstory, we then recognize that chapter 2 and chapter 7 are key to understanding the whole book. They link the two sections together. And so if you're like me, you like a kind of big picture overview, how does this all work as you get ready to dive in, uh, I would definitely commend to you the um, introduction video um, to Daniel that's created by the Bible Project, freely available on YouTube. Can't play it because we're streaming and the stream will get locked off. <laughs> and so um, I encourage you to, to watch that in your own time 
always very helpful, their material. But this is the, the fundamental structure of the book. And we see some key verses that give us the essence of the theme of the book. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. 20 to 22. It says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And so we see a, a, picture, a picture of the sovereignty of God declared in these verses, which is the fundamental theme of Daniel. In verse 44 of chapter 2, Daniel 2 verse 44, it says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And so here, a clear declaration of God's intent. I run things, things don't run me. And just so you know, I'm going to finish everything. I'm going to done all of your plans and purposes, and my plans and purposes will be established forever. Now, for us, that is good news. Despite declining interest in God, in the Bible, in Jesus, God is true to himself. That is the essence of faithfulness. That he is true to himself. For us, faithfulness is being true to God because he is the definitive factor in life. And he will do what he has said. And then when we look at the, the, the book of Daniel, we see God doing miraculous things, performing phenomena in such ways as to affirm his intent as declared. Like you can be sure this is going to happen because look at all these little things I'm doing. I'm just dropping some little tasters on you. Little tidbits. Because by this, you're going to know I'm in control. Amen. It's like it says in the Psalms, God laughs in the face of the wicked. Amen. And so, in chapter 1, we see in these initial verses a, a, a cultural emasculation of the Hebrew people. And that's the effort. They take the brightest and the best from among the people. Remember, they've gone into the, the capital, they've taken over the capital, and by reason of that, they run the country. It's not even like they have to go and fight off the whole nation. And then they execute what we might call today a brain drain. And they take all of the 
most intelligent, most influential, and they bring them into their own courts. And it's not just so that they can strengthen their household and strengthen their kingdom, because they don't have a great deal of regard for this people they've just conquered anyway. But it's so that they can strip this people of their identity. And so what do we see? We see that they strip them of their language, strip them of their lifestyle, strip them of their learning, but it all starts with the stripping them of their names. See, if, if, if at the start of this I was to say to you before I even told you what book we were going into, um, what Bible characters, um, where would you find these Bible characters, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael? Only a few of you would know. Now, if you were um, under Pastor P from back in the day, uh, you would know. Because when the youth went through Daniel, know their Hebrew names, not their pagan names, know their Hebrew We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not who they were. Look at what their names meant. Daniel's name meant, God is my judge. Whereas Belteshazzar meant, Bel's prince. Bel is one of their idolatrous gods. Hananiah meant beloved by the Lord. And yet Shadrach meant illumined by the sun god. Mishael meant who is as God. And yet Meshach, who is like Venus. And Azariah, the Lord is my help. And yet Abednego was the servant of Mego. I can't lie, there was a long time growing up that I thought that um, Abednego was a black man. <laughs> I, I mean, he, he, he could well have. But the, the reason why I felt, I thought that um, he was a black man because I grew up, uh, uh, and my immediate relatives, my cousins, um, as I grew up around my cousins, the majority of them were Rastafarian, like my olders in my household. And so anytime I heard any kind of reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it wasn't, his name wasn't stated as Abednego, but a bad Negro. Yeah. And so you can understand the, the source of my confusion. But even so, Hananiah, Mishael, Mishael, and Azariah, being their Hebrew names, had significance to their identity, not just in terms of who they saw themselves, but who they belonged to. And you see, there is a way in which that the devil continues to do that today, even among us as Christians, seeking to strip us of our identity. I mean, people don't like to take to themselves the name of Christian which fundamentally is a follower of Christ. It says in the book of Acts that it was a certain point in time where they were first called Christians and it was, among the people, a slur. It was, it was, a, it was a diss 
to call someone a Christian was like to call them a foolish idiot type of thing. But to the believers, it became a badge of honor. We are considered fools for Christ's sake. We are his followers. People would say that they're spiritual. People would say that, you know, they're, they're um, uh, enlightened or their third eye is open or whatever the, the, the terminology that people use to kind of avoid being associated with Christ. Their lifestyle was changed, their diet. And so we see that they didn't eat the king's food. And that wasn't, again, just because of dietary considerations. It wasn't like they was plant-based pro. <laughs> Vegan. But they recognized that to participate in that food had two significant things as far as their beliefs as, as the people of God was concerned. One, the food was kosher. It was not kosher, sorry. And so therefore, they would have been participating in food that violated their food laws. And in an effort to be faithful to God in unfaithful surroundings, they were like, all right, let's look for an option. Secondly, they realized that to participate in the king's food would suggest a certain partnership in a covenantal sense which they were not wanting to communicate, not even by accident. They don't par with the king and his ideals. They don't subscribe to his worldview. They don't share in his perspective. And so they're not going to eat his food and implicitly communicate that. I remember a time as a Christian when um, we got rid of all of our secular music. Because we were under the conviction that, you know what? If it's not of God, then it's not for us. And we were in that space where we recognized that we were being so influenced by our media consumption, our music consumption, our entertainment consumption that actually we had to just take the, the, the strong measure of locking it off in order to preserve our souls and our identities. Now, sometimes people find themselves in that space and they want to make it a rule for others. You see, I've established my legalistic commitment and I'm now, by my own legalistic standard, going to judge everyone else. I've said I'm not going to drink wine. No wine shall pass my lips. Woe unto you. With little Guinness in your fridge. Said I'm not going to listen to no non-godly music. What's that bass line I hear in your car? You see, as we journey with the Lord, we have to recognize that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. 
We're not responsible, Romans 14 tells us, for another man's servant. Our brothers and sisters live unto the Lord just as we live unto the Lord. And so therefore we have to mind our own business. <laughs> Basically, we have to mind our own business. But in saying that, let us be about our father's business. Because our business is nothing other than that. And so to that end, some of us may go through those And it was a season for us. And God used it powerfully. And sometimes there are times, and you know what it's like, sometimes you just need to lock off social media. And just have that, that like, it's beautiful at the beginning of the year. And if there's no other time when it happens, we'll encourage it to happen corporately. And we're not going to judge people if you don't do it. But we'll have that time at the beginning of the year where we have a, a week of fasting and prayer and we're saying, look, lock off everything. Just godly consumption. And so, we need to ensure that we are not allowing the world to, to dominate and dictate our identity in Christ. Romans 12.2 don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? All right, the renewing of your mind. And trust me, the devil is about, to, he's about it when it comes to renewing your mind. Renewing my mind. And he's, he's insidious in the way that he does it. You're there trying to stand against temptation and then you, you put on some light listening. Oh, baby. Dark listening, brother. <laughs> and you don't see how influent, influential that is in your, your mind frame and your attitude. And how it can turn those resistant to temptation to yielding to temptation. And so let's be mindful. What place do we give to learning in our life? Who is, who is the authoritative voice when it comes to education, is it our professor? Is it our lecturer? Is it our vocational trainer? Or is it the scriptures? Do we have such confidence in the scriptures that we hold them to be of the highest authority? And that's rightly dividing the word and not, you know, the Bible wasn't written as a science manual. So let's handle the word contextually and yet recognize that it speaks to every area of life and it is our highest authority. How about language? It seems that it's unfashionable these days to speak about Bible things in Bible terms. We'll speak more in psychological terms. Or we'll even just redefine the Bible terms like progressive Christians do. And so when they say the scripture is inspired, they don't mean divinely inspired by God. They say it's inspired like Shakespeare was inspired. So 
speaking about Bible things in Bible terms. And yes, it's more important to convey the meaning. Repentance isn't a common word today. It's like, you, in, a, in a, a biblically illiterate culture, to go and say to someone, repent. You sinner. They, I mean, those are two words that, they don't, um, they, they get a sense that there's something significant, but generally, I remember we was, when we were back at Charter, um, one, one of the sisters brought a friend. Um, she works in law. He was a lawyer. And one of the questions he had at the end of the service, he was not a Christian. Um, in one of the songs we must have been singing, I don't know, I exhort thee or something like that. And his question was, what does the word exhort mean? That this is a lawyer practicing law. <laughs> Paid copious amounts of money and that struck me and it wasn't a, a, a kind of wow don't you not like you, you're supposed to be so learned and you don't even know it wasn't that it was wow you can have somebody who can go through such an educational process and something as simple as exhort miss to glorify to, to magnify to big up to speak highly of that was completely lost on that individual And so, it is important that we speak of Bible things in Bible terms, but it's even more important that we help people to understand the meaning. Throw back to what Pastor Rich was saying last week, perlocution, elocution, and locution. We want people to understand the locution, the word, but we want them to understand the perlocution, the meaning of the word, the significance of the word. So, where this cultural emasculation, they endeavor to, to strip these Hebrews of their identity in order that they might reprogram them, brainwash them, indoctrinate them to their ways, these brothers sought to be faithful. And so one of the ways in which they done that was that they refused the, the food. And yet the way in which they went about that is interesting. Because firstly, we see that in verse 8, it says Daniel resolved. In, in other translations, it might say Daniel purpose. He set his heart not to defile himself. And this is where it starts. It starts in our hearts. It doesn't really matter what's going on around us. We may not be able to control that, but we have the ability by God's grace and the work of his spirit to deal with our own hearts. And so it's important that we don't allow our hearts to be discouraged. We don't allow ourselves to get so disillusioned that we cast off our resolve. Wow, it come like it's just a handful of us. I mean, we're in this space. We're, we're coming out of lockdown. 
I say coming out because this, despite the restrictions being stopped, people are still transitioning, right? Still working out. How do I, how do I navigate this, this season where COVID is still around? We're still vulnerable. The restrictions had some benefit, but now there are none. What do we do? How do we work this so we don't get sick or make others sick, but live purposeful lives? And in this space, when it feels like, and you know, I, I said to, uh, to a couple of people the other day, you know, it's very easy to, to forget, especially when we think about church life, that we've been living through a pandemic, uh, a, a time unprecedented in living history that has affected the whole globe. And so even when church life doesn't feel like it is what we would desire it to be, let's not lose sight of what we've been through and where we're coming from. And that it's going to take time to rebuild. And so the challenge is, where are our hearts at? If we have a lack of resolve, let us seek the Lord that he might steady our hearts and strengthen us. As it says in Hebrews, strengthen the hands that hang down. Secondly, we see that in verse 8, Daniel made a, a courteous request. Often, when we're really seeking to, to be faithful and go against the grain, swim, swim upstream against the current, we can often become quite obnoxious in the way that we interact with others that don't share our views. We can just be a pain in the neck, to put it politely. And yet, we see here that Daniel was resolved, but courteously. He didn't demand. He didn't accuse. He didn't rebel. But he asked the chief of the units, like, boss man, this isn't really going to work for me, you know. I, this doesn't really gel with my commitments. I don't, I don't really want to you know, the food, the king's food, isn't it? Like, what am I going to say? It's quality, but it's not really for me. And so you can see that there's a sense of Daniel being courteous and gracious. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. I'm embellishing the text. But his intention was, look, despite your kind offer, can I be exempted from this? I'm not even asking for more lavish food, food that's hard to get. I just won't work with the plant-based diet. <laughs> the cheap food, the easy to come by food. Although, you know, you try to go plant-based today, it's not cheap, right? Especially if you want to do it right. This is definitely a testimony for plant-based um, living though, I can't lie. It's, you know, it's there, isn't it? <laughs> it's there, it's there. So all my vegan family, hold tight. <laughs> it says that they looked 
fatter and fitter than all the rest. Uh, anyway, I won't get into that. That's a, that's, <laughs> that's a digression. <clears throat> but he, he appealed to them courteously. And yet, in verse 9, we see that because of his resolve to honor the Lord, it says God gave him favor and compassion. And so he was resolved to honor the Lord, he acted to honor the Lord, and he done so in an honorable way. And God granted him favor. In Proverbs 16, 7, it says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Favor of God. Heard one brother say, favor ain't fair. When God gives you favor, there's nothing no one else can do about it but be red-eyed, jealous, envious, or encouraging. They're the the only options because when God gives you favor, it's like they say, when God appoints you, no one can disappoint you. And yet also, we see that there was a, a readiness on Daniel's part. He was ready, you know, the, the, the steward was hesitant, felt like this could go bad for not just you, but for me. My neck is on the block, the chief eunuch. And in this, Daniel and his brothers knew that this could cost them something. This could cost them something. And yet they were prepared for that. For the honor of God's name. And then in verse 12 we see. Daniel expressed his faith. James tells us that faith without works is dead. And as Daniel has stepped out to make this request, he stepped out in faith. And he's expressed that by saying, look, put us to the test. Give us 10 days plant-based, just water. And then look and see how we fare. And you have to understand that this this wasn't just a test of, you know, the dietary, the excellences of their diets. whose, Whose diet was better? In all of this, this is a test of whose God is greater. Because Daniel's motivation wasn't the diet. His motivation was honoring God. And not dishonoring God by taking this food and wine that would have been used in the sacrifice to their idols. True faith is willing to be tested, is yours. Is your faith true? Is your faith willing to be tested? The reality is that faith in God is something that we should be very willing and ready and open to have tested. If we really know 
not just what we believe, but why we believe it, then we won't feel like we need to get aggressive and, and to, you know, have to beat the table and beat the door and beat people in order to prove that we're right. C.H. Spurgeon said, who needs to defend a lion? Who needs to defend a lion? Defend a lion? Just let him out the cage. That's it. Mm. And so we don't have to exert energy ourselves to try and muster up a, a convincing argument. We just present the truth. We present what we believe. We present why we believe it. First Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give an answer when asked the reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness. And so again, this may be an area in which, you know what, we've been shaken in these times. Because this hasn't just been a season of, of health trials. Uh, there's been social upheaval and spiritual. And many have been defecting from the faith. Turning to other ideas and philosophies. And so if we find ourselves in a place where we feel shaken in our faith, then look to those who are stronger and allow their testimony to encourage and strengthen and allow their understanding to be imparted. But there has to be a commitment on our part to seek God. Because as we go through the, the, the book of Daniel, you have to understand, this isn't us reading Aesop's, fab Aesop's fables. This isn't Hans Christian Andersen, you know, what is it, Hansel and Gretel, and this is real life. This actually happened. Now, you've got people that want to question the book of Daniel because the prophecies in the book of Daniel are so accurate and they were fulfilled even before the life of Jesus, fulfilled in such a way that people were like, oh, how could Daniel, so many hundred years, known such accuracy that these empires would come and rule and reign over the globe and become superpowers. The, the Persians and the Greeks and the, the Romans, how, like, how, did, how could, there must have been a later writer. There, it wasn't just a prophet called Daniel writing in 605 BC before. No, 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 there must have been two Daniels. One early and one late. Because how could he know? You know, Jesus said, in Matthew and also in Mark. As you have read in the prophet Daniel, when you see the abomination of desolation, so he quotes the prophet Daniel, quoting from the text as they had received it. The, whole, the same 12 chapters that we have is what they had. Matthew 24, Mark 13, both of those chapters, Jesus acknowledges that there was one prophet called Daniel. Now, if any man feels like he knows more than Jesus as a theologian, you know it's a problem, right? You know, to stay clear of that guy. 
And so as we go through the book of Daniel and we see these phenomenal episodes in the life and history of God's people, let us be encouraged. These are not just bedtime stories, Sunday school talks. These are examples of how the living God has manifested his presence in the real world in phenomenal and irrefutable ways to the point where even pagan kings are brought to their knees living wild like an animal only to declare truly the God of Israel is the true God. So we serve the true and living God. And despite the fact we might sing like Boney M, or Psalms 137, which is where the song comes from, how can we sing when we're in a strange land? We serve the living God who is in control. The God who has purposed for you and I to flourish where we're found. You see, as we serve the eternal God, we serve the God who is greater than our circumstances. And, it's, and, it, and it doesn't just mean that God can change our circumstances to suit us. But he can change us in our circumstances to suit them. That we might flourish even in adverse circumstances. Even when we're few. Even when people are flaking out and falling off. And we see this in the life of our Savior in a different way. You see, Daniel and the, the brothers, they were in a strange land. They had been taken to Babylon. And yet, in John 1, it says that Jesus came to his own. Listen to this. John 1, 9 to 12. The true light which gives light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. Verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. See, it's one thing going to a strange land and being rejected. It's one thing being amongst unbelievers and being rejected because there's a level at which we expect that but imagine you're among your own and experience rejection see Jesus came to his own but they, his own people did not receive him but did, did he flounder did he, did he flop did he fall off did he flip out and lose his mind? Did he lose his identity? Verse 12 tells us, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. You see, since the fall, adverse circumstances are going to come in life. They're going to come in life. And yet the reality is that as we sang earlier, 
The Lord is greater than it all. And just as we see the end of the story in chapter 1 from verse 17, that those Hebrew boys shone brighter than their peers. They outstripped their competitors because of God-given favor. Let's understand that and let's not despise the favor that we have received from God through Christ. That God has granted favor to those who believe, who have repented, turned away from their sin, the rebellion against God, and put trust in Jesus and him alone and have submitted to follow him and have received his spirit empowering us to do that which is even greater than our weaknesses. And just as Jesus who experienced the most adverse circumstances, you know, one of the things I love about Psalm 23, which was drilled into me when I was growing up, we see this picture of the psalmist walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We're not exempt. We're not exempt. Because we're Christians, we don't get a, a pass. You get the fast track and avoid all of the, the valleys and the darkness and the shadows and the death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will walk. Fear no evil. Why? Because we know that God is with us. Because you know that God is with you. And we have that supreme confidence because Jesus, having gone through the valley of the shadow of death, was raised from the dead, having been killed, having been crucified. The ultimate testimony of God's faithfulness. The ultimate testimony of the fact that God is in control. And so may we be a people of faith who flourish where we're found through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.